Hello, welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mahim Jam. Happy Friday. I hope you're doing very well. I am doing fantastically well. You know what? I'm recording this podcast all the way from Los Angeles, but I've been traveling all across the world recently. I've been to New York. I've been to Brazil, Austria. I mean, you name it. I met so many, many people. I love meeting people, you know, share ideas with them, but also tell them about I Am The Code. You know, each time you support I Am The Code, you are elevating young women and girls globally. So don't forget to help us further. We need your support. And being in Los Angeles and New York really opened my eyes into one thing people need to know what I am the code does and our strategy in 2023 is to tell the whole world the impact we are making but also how people can get involved so thank you so much I've received an award by the way from the African diaspora community in New York I was so happy to meet so many wonderful people entrepreneurs business owners investors but also the mayor of New York you know many many people who welcomed me It was really, really wonderful time. I will go back, of course, to you know, meet people and give them access to the I Am The Code platform. I was truly honored to be recognized by the African diaspora in America. Thank you, everyone who nominated me. I am so humbled, really humbled. My heart is full of gratitude for recognizing me. When you are recognized by your peers, it means something. I came in this diaspora in a very accidental way. So you recognizing me today means a lot. So on behalf of I Am The Code, all our girls, our board members, thank you so much. I met so many people this month, but I met someone really amazing, a lovely lady called Carmen Corbin. She is right now based in Dakar, my home city. She's working extremely hard to make sure that women are trained in cybersecurity and also the civil servant. She is working with government, the private sector, in the communities across Africa to bring awareness around cybersecurity. Many people do not know that cyber violence against women is at its highest level right now. Cyber harassment can take many, many forms. But for the purpose of this podcast, I just want to share with you what it includes. It includes unwanted sexually explicit emails, texts, online messaging, website, internet chat rooms, bullying, gaslighting, like so many, many things. You know, threat to physical health, physical and sexual violence by emails. So many, many things, hate speech, you know, meaning languages that denigrate people because of their differences, insult. You know, if you have a different sexuality, for example, people are even denying the past, the Holocaust, or so many, many things that, that has happened, but people are going and spreading misinformation. This can create and give you mental health issues, doubt, confusion. We must really try to educate our people. So cyber harassment takes many, many forms. I really want you to learn from this podcast today that you must take control and protect yourself. Delete all the apps you don't need, remove notifications. If you don't want to be on Facebook or all the social media, remove yourself from it and really protect your mental health. This is so important. I hope you're going to learn from Carmen. She's really amazing. She has shared so much information with you. Take some notes, girls, if you're listening. And I really hope that this podcast will help you maybe change your career, look into cybersecurity, and want to do something for yourself. I want to thank you again, Said Institute, the African diaspora, my friend from Los Angeles, from New York. Thank you, everyone, for supporting me, but also for nominating me. I will see you on the other side. Let me just see if my guest is on the line. Carmen, are you there? I'm here. 
How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's nice to hear you. So wonderful to have you on this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I've been listening to episodes that you've recorded in the past, and it's truly an honor to be here. So I'm happy to be someone selected for this great podcast. So let me tell you why we invited you. We have a tradition at I Am The Code to always say to our guests why we invited them. I think there are a couple of things that I've noticed about you and I've been quite inspired by. I remember meeting you a long time ago. I don't know if it was in Dakar or somewhere else. Was it in Dakar? It, well, I think it was online. It was for a webinar that we were doing in Dakar. Exactly. And then I was very inspired by um, the work you were doing on cybersecurity. And I was like, wow, you know, interesting that someone is doing this, but also bringing it to the African continent, you know, training the African leadership, you know, that was really, really inspiring for me. And I think the second thing is that you're just your passion about cybersecurity and girls being safe online. You know, as you know, one of the things we do at I Am The Code is to make sure young women and girls are safe. But also I think the capacity building component when you are training the African civil servants to understand what cybersecurity is. That was really, really inspiring. So thank you so much for all the work you do in, in the African continent and inspiring women and girls all over the world. So welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. For people who don't know who you are and, and seeing you running across Africa, maybe you can tell them you know, who you are and when has everything begun for you? So my name, of course, Carmen Corbin, and I've been um, in Senegal now. This is my third year already. Currently, I'm working as basically the head of counter cybercrime programming that UNODC's global program on cybercrime is doing in Africa. And so it's, a, it's truly a global program. We're positioned all throughout the world, but our work that is really focused on Africa is headquartered here in Senegal, but we cover really all across the continent and are working on different projects all across the continent. That being said, though, I'm new to the UN. I still say I'm new. This is my third year, but I feel like I'm still new to the United Nations. Before working at the United Nations, I worked in the United States in total, a little close to almost 15 years with the U.S. government. And for much of that time, for over 11 years, I was a federal prosecutor for the United States and working in the state of Arizona, working on a lot of cases that were focused on cybercrime and countering cybercrime, stopping cybercrimes, but really focused a lot on online sexual abuse of children and sexual exploitation of children. And so that became, I guess, my passion, my, my, my project that I was truly engaged with and work that I was truly engaged with and ultimately led to me coming to West Africa to continue this work in a, in a different way. And where did you go to school? Did you go to school in America? I did. I went to university at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, which is in the South, if you, if you know the country. And then I actually went to law school at American University in Washington, D.C., but I would say that I had a great opportunities and great education throughout my university experiences that I had. But I also learned quite a bit by having opportunities to travel and visit places abroad and talk to people that lived in places that were not like where I was coming from. That's really interesting. I mean, one of the things I like about your work is the work you do on gender-based violence as well, right? Really doing that online. What made you start thinking about this? Because you could have another career in, in different fields, but what was really interesting in you in doing this? I think the thing that really got me started in working on this were a number of things. Number one, my work as a prosecutor when I was working 
on cases, cyber cases, cybercrime cases, I became to notice, and it was just clear that a lot of the victims that were involved in these cases were girls and women. And that's not to say that boys and men are not also victims as they are, but especially for online exploitation, there seemed to be just so many young girls that were involved in these crimes that were victimized. And I started to see that there were certain points where I was able to maybe understand a little bit more about how these victims were feeling their the crimes and the and the the victimization and and how that was affecting their day-to-day lives. So not just the the horrible event that may have, you know, caused them to be victimized, but the life that comes after that. If they're able to continue on, like what does that look like for them and how do they operate in the world outside of such a tragic event? And so I think that as I started working in this field and obviously as a prosecutor I was working on the technical side of trying to present a case and be a trial attorney, I was also trying to better understand the human side, better understand what were these girls and these women experiencing, you know, and this is a different type of crime in some ways in the sense that it's potentially a molestation or a sexual abuse or some sort of victimization or exploitation that happens. And at some point it was a hands-on offense, but then it gets multiplied when it is shared across the internet. And potentially these children, these girls, these women that are victimized by one horrible incident, by one person, it then becomes where they are victimized hundreds of thousands of millions of times as those images and videos of that crime are spread across the world. And we're talking about online child sexual exploitation and the images of that exploitation being shared across the world. So I started to work in this field and and really try to understand better how we can help women and girls possibly, one, avoid these types of victimizations and these types of crimes. But number two, what do we do afterwards? How do we start to help these women and girls to find their future beyond just being a victim or living with the definition of being a victim? And I really took to that. I really felt that there was space that I could do something positive. There was a need and I felt like I had enough passion and energy that I could get into it and maybe make a difference in this field. And that's really where... I believe I I kind of got the spark to continue working in this field. It's really amazing because, you know, you are a prosecutor. You could just, you know, sit at the court and do this. But I'm really inspired by the fact that you actually got out and say, I'm going to go and do something about this. But we have a big problem in Africa. You know, you are in, in Senegal now you know, my home country, but we have a massive issue when it comes to cybersecurity issues and online safety for women and girls. Why do you think government, civil society, private sector should really do something about this now? Well, I think for a number of ways that can be so crucial to helping stop or at least minimize the magnitude of this problem. And as you mentioned, you know, cybersecurity, cyber crimes, they are overtaking the world, really. Africa is experiencing something of a certain magnitude, but really it's happening across the world. And that has a huge impact on economic growth, but it also has a huge impact just at a local standpoint on families, on local development, and even on just individuals, and especially on like mental health of young people can have such a detrimental effect on so many different aspects of our lives that it becomes really important that we try to attack this problem, I'd say, in, in different ways and come at it with different different ways in which we can try to help our societies, help our communities 
better confront these issues. And so, you know, trying to educate more people on what does cybercrime look like? What are cyber risks look like? When you go online, you know, I think about my own children. My own children, they've grown up in a world where they have had access to the internet all the time. They There are devices around them all the time. And even though we may not give them, you know, their own device to use at the moment because they're too young, they still see them around them all the time. And it's just part of their world. That wasn't my world when I was growing up. But the fact that it's such a part of their world, we need to continue to educate people on the potential risks that are out there in that field when they're using these devices that can be used for wonderful, amazing things as well. And so I think that civil society governments, of course, it's really important that they continue to invest in programs. I mean, I mean, I would say programs like mine, but also programs like yours, like I Am The Code, where you are helping educate girls on coding and understanding better opportunities that are available in cyber. These are important aspects for really educating the public wide as to what does cyber, the good and the bad, look like for our futures. You can't understand how much I'm impressed about this. One of the things that I also notice in your work is that the capacity building component, the fact that you are not just talking about online safety and cybersecurity, but also you are training now the African civil servant. For people who don't know the work you are doing in Africa, would you mind just sharing that and go a little bit in details in what does your job Intel actually in Africa? Sure. It is a bit of a challenge to explain all the different aspects that we're working in this field, actually, because we're getting to do a lot of different things. But generally, my program, uh, we're based again in Dakar, and we cover all of Africa, but we're focused on a number of different things. We are focused on first building capacity on investigation and prosecution skills for investigating and prosecuting cybercrime. So what does that mean exactly? That basically means that we are meeting and training law enforcement, police officers, gendarmes, on how to investigate cyber crimes and cyber-enabled crimes. And so that really is almost any crime at this point. So almost every crime that you can think of from, you know, trafficking of narcotics or human trafficking, anything, there's always a cyber component because Typically, there's going to be some type of evidence or indication of some aspect of the crime that was facilitated over some sort of cyber network, whether it's a texting application or email or any sorts of cyber application like that. And so all of that is considered digital evidence and can help in finding the perpetrators of a particular crime. So we at UNODC's Global Program on Cybercrime, we focus on training law enforcement to better understand how they can investigate these types of crimes and use that digital evidence to help them find the bad guys and potentially find the victims and help stop the cybercrime or the cyber-enabled crime that's occurring. But in addition to that, we are also building capacity for the prosecutors and the judges as well. And I am a perfect example of why that's important, because I don't have a technical background. I didn't study IT. I didn't study information technology or computers when I was in university. I focused on law. I focused on things that were not really technical. But when I went to to the prosecutor's office and I started working on these cases, I started learning a lot more about digital evidence and a lot more about the cyber components that were necessary for me to understand to better explain the evidence. Because I needed to be able to understand this digital evidence so that then I can explain it to a judge or a jury or also just to better understand 
who is the person that committed this crime and who is the victim? And how do we make our legal system just in using this evidence to help us understand our cases better? So I really had a on-the-job experience to understand and learn more about digital crimes, digital evidence, and how it is obtained and preserved and then presented in a courtroom. So With that in mind, our program really heavily focuses as well on educating prosecutors and judges all over Africa on better understanding digital evidence and digital forensics and and how this evidence can help them understand their cases better. And in the long run, I think for better understanding of criminal justice in general and the justness of criminal justice systems, it's really important that we have this transparency, that this evidence be able to be well understood so that then it can be explained and all of the levels of the people in the criminal justice system are better able to evaluate the value of that evidence so that ultimately we are really better at finding the people that have committed the crimes and finding the victims. What I like about what you just said also is the fact that it's not just for trying to find justice, but also you want to help people who don't know what digital intelligence means, right? And then making, for example, let's say someone is on the other end of the whole story. We can also train these people. I mean, capacity building is so important in Africa right now. Your work is really important. That leads me to my next question. When you are training these people, you know, all the legal guys, you know, how do they receive your training? Do they appreciate that in Africa? Is it more open for you to help them? Up? Yes, I believe that at least in the experiences that we've had, we've had really positive experiences with all of the different officers, agencies, prosecutors, judges that we've worked with. There is an appetite for this information right now because it's it's all around us, right? Everybody is using this technology. And I think in general, everyone wants to better understand this, not only for the fact that they want to improve professionally and understand better for their own professional reasons, but also for personal reasons. I honestly think that even for myself, as I was working in these cases, I was personally better understanding my own use of these types of technologies and, and how I may have been putting myself at risk you know, when I was doing my own, whatever I was doing online. And so I think that in many ways, we've had a lot of very positive experiences all across Africa that we have been working. And we continue to build very strong relationships with different agencies and governments throughout the continent, because I think everyone is seeing that the writing is on the wall, that there are some very difficult challenges ahead related to cybercrime, cybersecurity, cyber-enabled crime. And it's incredibly important that we really figure out together how to counter these crimes and how to be better prepared for what could be down the road. You know, one of the things I've been looking into Africa for the last probably 15 years is the archives, right? So we have a lot of archives in Senegal, for example, 10, 15 years ago, people didn't care about them that much. But now they are talking about digital evidence, you know, you know, for example, the history of Africa or many, many things that people just talk about because of misinformation. I've seen the government of Senegal working on that. But the other thing I was going to ask you, the, the lack of skilled people, right? We have a lot of people who are who need skills in Africa, especially in the cybersecurity industry. As you said, there's an appetite to train these people, to talk about the issues you just mentioned. But what can we do right now to train young women and girls who are growing up in the continent who, as you said, will be victim of these cyber crimes and grooming and, and sexual abuse and, and we have all these social media tools that they're using every day? What can we do to make sure that we really invest in this and train people? you have any idea on that? 
I do. Again, it's not unique to Africa. It's all over the world, really. But this lack of skill, we like to see it as it's an opportunity. So what do I mean by that? And, you know, when we talk about this a lot is that in many ways, there's a lot of demand right now for people that understand cybersecurity, that understand digital forensics, that understand digital evidence, all of these things. There's, there's a lot of demand and there's not a lot of supply. There's not a lot of people, as you say, that are skilled with this understanding or this knowledge. And so from the work that we have been doing, we've been really seeing this as an opportunity. So it's an opportunity for women initially, let's say, because there's such a demand, there really is a space where women can get the skills and enter this workforce at a level that arguably in the past for other professions may not have been equal to a lot of their male counterparts. And, you know, I think that this is still being developed as we're moving along, but it seems that just statistically, because there is so much demand, there is a lot of opportunity for women in this field, women and girls. And so the way that we are trying to I guess, you know, take that as an opportunity for our own programming is we're really trying to engage more women, more women in cybercrime work, more women in countering cybercrime, digital forensics, you know, just cyber specialists in general, cybersecurity. So our organization here on Global Program, but specifically in Africa, we've developed an Africa Women in Cyber Networking Group. And so we've invited women. And if there are listeners out there who are women that are in Africa that work in cyber, we would be very happy to welcome you to join the group. But we have a monthly meeting of these women who are literally all across the continent who are working in different cyber fields. So some of them are in fintech, some of them are in cybersecurity, some of them are in you know law enforcement and working to counter cybercrime. But what's really neat about this program, this group we have, is that we meet once a month. And of course, we meet generally, we meet online because we're all across the continent. But we have a one-hour meeting and it's just an opportunity for all of these women to get together so that they can see each other so that they can have a another person that's out there that they know that is working in this field. And there's some magic that happens, I'll say. I'll say it's magic. At least that's how I perceive it when I leave the, the meetings every month. But there's some magic that happens when these women come together and they share an experience, they share their struggles, they share you know whatever the obstacle is that they're having that week, that month. And there's a connection and they almost you know, help each other remember who they are, remember what they're working on, remember why they're working on that, why it's important. And then we all seem to leave with a new energy to go on and, and to continue on. And so one of the initiatives that we've been really encouraging all of the women to do is to bring more women into the group, to find others that are interested in joining, because this multiplication of, of having more women come and meet each other and see that there are so many others out there like them, I think can only help more women engage in this field. And that can help them take an advantage of this potential opportunity for women to join into this workforce that is ever growing, ever needed, and really come in at a level that might help women across the world find an equal space with some of their male counterparts. So ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this podcast, please join Carmen and her team in Senegal or all across Africa. You know, 67% of the world actually is connected to the internet. And I sit on the board of the Web Foundation. And one of the things that we've been really talking about is, you know, getting women to be online and online safety is so important. You know, I was just saying the other day that many people don't know 
especially in many African countries, that the internet is actually a form of violence against women. You know, your husband can just take your mobile phone away from you for a couple of days and a couple of weeks. You don't have access to friends, you don't have access to information. And I call this, you know, tech violence really against women. So if you're listening to Carmen, please be curious. There's a lot of job opportunities, by the way, on cybersecurity. You can get a lot of money, you know, which is women economic empowerment. So please, please take notes on everything uh, Carmen is saying right now. So Carmen, let me go and ask you, what advice would you give to our young women? You know, at I Am The Code, we are trying to get 1 million women and girls to learn how to code by the year 2030. And cybersecurity is one of our, it's 70% demand right now in our, in our content, in our digital platform. So if you are advising young women who are now 18 plus looking into different industries, in the world, especially in Africa. What advice would you give to these young people? Well, I think that I realize that my situation where I grew up and and my opportunities were vastly different from a lot of the women that I'm working with here in Africa or that potentially you're working with in I Am The Code. And so I can't step into their shoes fully and really explain what they're experiencing or what their vision of their future might be. But I guess I could at least say that, you know, it's really important that you find and follow your passion, whatever that is. If your passion is one thing and you feel super energized about that, then it's, it's important to do that. If that passion happens to be something related to cyber or something related to tech or something that just makes you're just curious about it, I would give the advice to follow that. See where it goes, you know, find if there is something that you want to pursue a little further and get more information. In general, I tell my own children, I tell them it's really important. The the key to happiness, I think, at least I guess everybody has their own opinion about what makes you happy. But I think the key to my life happiness has been to stay curious, to stay always asking questions, always just trying to learn something that you might not know or something that you may think you know, but maybe there's a different perspective that somebody else has that might help you see what you think you know in a different light. So staying curious, asking questions, not being afraid to ask those questions, not being afraid to to raise your hand and stand up and see what your opinion might start, you know, raising your opinion and saying what you think may may ultimately start a different conversation that might lead to something else. And those are those are all good things. So I think my advice would be to to stay curious, stay, you know, find your passion and follow that. And if you have the ability to an interest in cyber, uh, you know, to to try to find ways that you can increase your knowledge, increase your skills, but but all by, you know, following your curiosity and seeing where that can take you. I hope they're listening to your advice. Thank you so much for for advising them. I'm so concerned about the fact that when we're talking about STEM subjects across Africa and across the world, you know, we don't talk about cybersecurity that much. And we are lagging behind in Africa. Is it why you are so passionate about training these women and having these monthly meetings when, you know, one woman can bring another woman and there will be a snowball effect, you know, by the time we arrive at 2030 to celebrate the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, at least we have many, many women who understand this field. Is, is it why you do that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. and. You know, it's truly the numbers are staggering. The numbers are staggering as to cybercrime, cybersecurity attacks, things that are happening across the globe. It's it's really eye-popping what is happening. I think, honestly, though, the reason that I do all of this is really not the numbers of the, you know, that are shared regularly about how many crimes and what the impact is that 
fiscally, but really thinking the fact that behind all those numbers are people. I mean, they're real people that are behind all of those numbers. They're people that have been victimized, whether it has been online child sexual abuse or financial scam or sale of false medications online, anything like that, there is a victim and a human impact. And that human impact, honestly, is what has always driven me to do all of the work that I've done. It's it's always the thinking about the real person that's behind the computer screen or behind the cell phone that has had their life ended because of something that has happened online. And for that reason, I continue to do really this work. It's thinking that way. And I think that when we are working to train law enforcement and prosecutors and judges across Africa, across the world, when we're also running our awareness campaigns where we're working with school children or teachers and trying to educate them on cyber safety, this is a whole different project that we have that we work on that And also in our women's, our gender program, where we're trying to engage more women, all of that is rooted, or at least I try to root it into thinking about the people that are behind the crimes, because ultimately that really is where we find, I think, the motivation to push through and try to better understand these crimes and how to stop them. Because in the end, it's really the people that we want to protect. It's the children that we want to protect. It's our own families, our own communities that we want to protect. And so that is, that's really the driver. The thing I was thinking as well during COVID-19, how did you manage during COVID-19? Did you get a lot of people coming to your organization asking for support? Because, you know, we, we really got stuck. You know, we, we had a lot of issues during COVID-19 in Africa, right? Did you get many people coming to you and asking you for help? You know, well, so COVID-19, I think, honestly, was the sounding alarm for a lot of people to start thinking about cyber for a number of reasons. One, because so many things shut down, life shut down, and everybody went online. We went online for school. We went online for shopping. We went online for ordering food, right? We, we, we were all online for literally mm. everything. And I think that that might not have taken place in the exact same way in every single community, but there was just some isolating aspect that came from the whole COVID 19 pandemic that had the entire world starting to think about what happens when our world has to go digital, when our entire world has to go digital, what what happens? And then that raised all of these risks and concerns. And for that reason, I think that that really was almost like a, a sounding alarm. At that point, we did have a lot of countries, uh, a lot of communities, people that were coming to us and and asking for assistance and just engaging with us, which was great and a a wonderful way to begin, you know, working and and conversing with different agencies and different countries that we may not have been doing work in yet. Our program really here in Senegal didn't start until very late 2019 and, and right into 2020. So we started this project here right at the beginning of COVID. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. We already had the interest, but I would say that it escalated rapidly with the the COVID experience. And so again, if you, you know, COVID, there were a lot of terrible things that, that happened with the whole pandemic, of course. If you have to see a silver lining, I would say that one silver lining could be the introduction of more discourse and conversations about cyber risks, cyber crime, and online safety, which I think is something that's really important for everyone to start thinking about. 
let me go back a little bit to you. What are you really passionate about in life? You know, although you have done law and now you're doing this in Africa, you know, we have young women and girls listening to you. They are refugees, you know, from Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya. They're South Sudanese and Burundis. In, in those countries, we have a lot of issues when it comes to digital skills. What advice would you have for these young women? And can you share what you're really passionate about? I think that my passions for different things have really been a driver in a lot of life choices that I've made in, in certain ways. I've always been very passionate about traveling and seeing other parts of the world, seeing how other people live and listening to and, and learning potentially other people's language and just learning their stories, learning other people's stories, understanding people's stories. And so I think that that passion or interest, I guess, has been something that's always been a driver in, in helping me make decisions of what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be, and and how I might, you know, get there, I guess, in so many ways. The other passions I think that I have are just trying to support the people that I care about, trying to, you know, take uh, care of the people in my community and learn from them and to to help give back. And, and that's really, I think, one of the most important things in my life in that giving back, I find a lot of joy and happiness in that. And it's really a lovely thing when you're able to share with somebody else uh, their burden and, and then share your own with someone else. And so I think that that is something that has been really important and, and a true driver in a lot of decision making in my life. And so for the girls that are listening and the girls that are part of you know your program, I think the thing that I would advise if I have any advice to give is just basically to always be a good listener. Listen. And do your best to always listen to the other people's stories and, and take interest in other people's stories and, and then to share their own because someone out there is probably also very interested in their story. And I believe that the more that we can understand each other and understand each other's situation and backgrounds and perspectives, maybe it's the way that we will get through difficult times uh, is by being able to really connect and understand each other's stories. So I think that being able to listen and share their own stories is really important. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Girls, I hope you have taken note for that. At I Am The Code, we teach young women and girls how to code. And one of our goal is to, to give them the skills they need to join the global workforce. I can see you have listening skills and, of course, communication skills. And I can see that you like collaborating. What skills do you have that our girls can learn from you? You know, do you have any skills that has really guided you all, all your career so far? that you can share with the girls or maybe maybe give some tips to the girls? Well, when we first met and we had our webinar together in, in Senegal, although it was online, so I guess it was <laughs> on, in the airwaves in Senegal, I was really impressed and captivated by the I Am The Code organization and the program that you have built and and just the energy and idea of it in and of itself. And so all of those things that you you highlighted, I think that are really important for the girls, communication, listening, all of those are, are very important characteristics. And I can totally see that in your programming that you're really conveying that to them. And it, it's an important aspect. One of the major things I think that is really important is being a good leader. And you can be a leader even at the beginning of your career. I mean, I even tell my girls, you know, they're leaders, even though they're young. There are other children, there are other people that are watching them, that are, that are seeing what they do. And so it's really important 
I think it's really important that no matter where you are in your career, in your studies, in your life, is that lead by example, that you always can be some leader in some form to someone, whether it's a colleague, maybe it's to someone who's just in your community, maybe it's to a young person that is at a lower grade or a lower level in university or even grade school, but they're looking to you. And so we can all be leaders at different stages of our lives and in different ways. And I think that that's a really important thing that we recognize in ourselves, and we go forward with that and we lead. And we lead, especially for the girls and women who they may be the first in their communities or the first in their school or the first in their organizations that are working in a particular field, especially when we're talking about cyber. And for them to take on being a leader is uh, is really critical for us to engage more girls, more more women in in this field, but in, in many fields. I think that the, it goes across the board. I've got so many friends working at the United Nations and coming to Africa and doing wonderful, wonderful work. But I can see you are leading by example. And I think to your point earlier that it's really important that you lead by example because the work you're doing is really important. You have skills. So the girls are looking for skills as well. So you understand law. And so you are taking all of that now into the African continent and building capacity, training people, creating networks and friendships. But if you really think about you know, your experience for the last three years, what has Senegal or Africa taught you? I would say Africa has been one of my greatest learning experiences of my life. This is my third year in Senegal. Before this, I actually lived in Benin for about a year and a half. At that point, I wasn't with the United Nations. I was working for the U.S. Department of Justice, and I was working at the U.S. Embassy there. But it was truly my first experience living and working day-to-day with my family in West Africa. And Africa is... It's, it's just special. I don't think I'm going to be able to give it justice of like exactly what it really has taught me, but it has taken everything that I believe I understood and recreated it, given me a new perception on the world and how things operate and what my role is in potentially doing good and and helping others and, and how that can, can really be a positive thing. Africa is... I mean, it's so much, it's so much energy. It's so much, it's intense. It's, it's intense in color and sounds and 100%, all senses. It's, it's intense all the time. And being able to come in and understand that within that intensity is this beautiful life that happens here that where communities are supporting each other and, and people are supporting each other together. It's, It's a very unique thing. And I have been so fortunate and so lucky to be a part of it and to witness it and to have my own family be a part of it. It's it's really wonderful. Professionally, I would say that Africa has taught me new challenges for sure. Not necessarily that that was Africa itself, but just doing international work in general is, is quite challenging. Language difficulties, cultural difficulties. Generally, if you're working in your own country and in your own culture, you, you don't have to get over these obstacles. <laughs> but that's a good exercise. It, it helps us always go back and refine ourselves to then go find and understand others better. And there's been nothing that I have learned more strongly than number one, learning more about myself when I've been living and working here, but also understanding how that ultimately affects 
me understanding the rest of the world around me. The, our theme for this season is the Diary of the Do-Gooders. You are in Africa, you're in Senegal, my country where you're working, and I'm hoping that you can stay as long as possible to help our people because, of course, your work is making an impact in the life of people. But do you have a diary? And when you wake up, wherever you are in the continent, what do you write on your diary? And I think this will be really interesting for the girls listening to you right now just to know that, you know, you are keeping records. <laughs> you know, I think that my diary really are photographs. So my diary, what I do is almost daily, I am taking a photograph. Maybe this goes to my, my digital and cyber side as well, but I'm taking a photo of something in my life that I've done that day, whether I'm working somewhere new, there's a new flower that has bloomed outside on my walk to my office, something that has, has triggered that's, that's new. And for me, my diary is this collection of photos. And again, I think this goes back at least to my time right now where I'm in Africa, where there is just so much to absorb. Sounds, you know, colors, visual, language differences, everything is, is new and, and constant. It's just everywhere. Think about a diary in the sense of how do I go back a couple of years from now and look back and remember what was I doing today? What was I doing, you know, last month? And I think that's really going to be captured in photographs because Africa is just so visual and so beautiful and so intense that these photographs will trigger, as you say, those smells and those sounds, all those things that I hear, the, the sounds of the, the horse carts coming down the street. I hear every single day the calls to prayer that I hear all the time during the day from the mosque that's down the street. It's, it's these things that are just beautiful. They're so every day right now. And but uh, and I come back to it from years from now, I think that I'll be looking at these photographs and really remembering this time. And as you say, I hope that there will have been an impact that I have made, that my project have made, even if that's merely, you know, something small, even if it's something small that I just was able to help someone on my staff, you know, progress and get a new position or develop new skills or, or move to something bigger. That's fine. That's enough because we are only trying to move potentially the dial just a very tiny bit, but that tiny bit over time can be a huge amount and a huge change. And so I think that that's, that's ultimately what I hope that I'll look back, you know, 20 years from now to, to see that, that that's made a difference. That's beautiful. I think personally, being a tech pioneer in the continent, having seen a lot of people coming to Africa and doing this tech work and innovation, I think your legacy will be really incredible. All the people you've touched, all these women, but also I think the fact that you brought the conversation around cybersecurity, which I'm so passionate about personally, and I can see what's going to happen in the next eight years with the work you are doing. And I hope that you, you know, I am the code and, and, and we can collaborate with you to do more and more and more because I think there will be so much work to be done in the, in the years to come. I've seen recently that Africa Development Bank has granted $2 million to the African Cybersecurity Resource Center for financial inclusion and, and to tackle cybercrime. And I just want to find out that, you know, do we need more investment into the whole cybersecurity industry in Africa? I mean, I think that it is definitely something that governments, member states, communities need to invest in. You know, it's a new way of thinking in a way. It's not that it's a new crime per se. Cybercrime has been around now for quite a long time, but it's all of a sudden become quite intense because so much of our lives have gone online. I think one thing that is often very surprising is, you know, you come to Africa or 
many countries across the world, really, everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has some sort of device that's connecting them to the internet, including kids. Kids have cell phones, kids have tablets, kids have, you know, all of these devices, but really everyone. And, you know, here in Africa, they're used for so many different things. They're used for mobile money exchange, for buying small items and exchanging money for different items on the street. And it's it's just normal. It's every day. They think that it has become a reality that uh, we're now having to catch up on. You know, we I was working as a prosecutor. I was always be having the conversation with my investigators that it seems that the government is always, you know, 20 steps behind the criminals because the criminals are always using some new technology, some new application that we were not yet fully educated on. And that made our our job a lot harder. And so in some ways, I think that we're always going to be playing a bit of catch up because the technology just changes quickly. And that's, that's what we want. We want innovation. We want new ideas. We want all of that. And that's the world that we are living in. I mean, thinking even just to the idea of using a cryptocurrency and all of these different types of technologies that are becoming more and more prominent in Africa and, and across the world, we need to catch up and governments need to catch up and, and law enforcement agencies, criminal justice and, and the public all need to become aware of you know what these look like, what the risks are. How do we operate our lives online? So yes, I think that investment is is really important, really, really critical. More investment and coming again at the problem from different sides. Capacity building, of course, is incredibly important in so many different ways for, for so many different agencies and, and different professions, but also public awareness, so making people aware of, of what these risks look like, and, and then talking to legislators and educating them on what, what does cybercrime legislation look like? What does, what does that need to look to support new developing technologies that might be brought into their borders? So absolutely, more investment needs to be made. I also think that there is a lot of talent across Africa, I mean, across the world for sure, but my focus is on Africa. Across Africa, there are scores of incredibly talented people that are working already in this field. And our program has been doing at least now, we've done twice annually, a capture the flag competition on digital forensics, which is an online competition that we run usually once a year. And we invite anyone who is in the cyber field to register for it and compete. And they have to complete a number of digital forensics uh, skills and and ultimately their a winner is decided and announced based off of time and, and expertise and skill. It's amazing. The first year that we did it, we we yeah, had we two hundred and seventy nine, <laughs> I believe, registrants across the continent. But by the second year, we had over a thousand registrants that were registered from all across the continent, and this has allowed us to really see and dig deep and understand better that. There are really some incredibly talented people that are that are here. They're already here working in this space. So let's use their expertise. Let's find them and and harness what they know and really use their skills already that are here. So the investment is necessary, but I think there's a lot of skill that's already here. And, and your organization, of course, really can help dig into that as well and find those girls that are out there that have a, a knack for this type of work. If you are a young woman right now in Senegal, want to get into cybersecurity and want to learn about forensics and digital evidence, where do you go? Do you have courses and platforms? 
platform where girls can go and learn about this? Because we need them to be skilled, right? We do, absolutely. And uh, we do not have a open platform yet, although we are developing some courses that could potentially uh, be used by some you know, member states that are interested in, in getting these types of skills. But that being said, there are a lot of different programs that are out there. Of course, I Am The Code is the one that I often mention when, <laughs> when people are asking me. But there are lots of different opportunities. And I think that a lot of member states within the UN and a lot of countries across Africa, across the world, again, are seeing this new issue that they really do need a workforce that understands digital technology and cyber crime and countering cyber crime and cyber investigations and cybersecurity. And so a lot of countries are starting to offer, whether it's through civil society agencies or, or private companies or even through universities, different programs that are being utilized to educate and give basic skills. We, again, most of our projects are focused on criminal justice actors and trying to educate criminal justice actors specifically on these types of skills. But, you know, as you say, like the public wide, there are a lot of people that are still just starting to decide where they want to take their careers, where they want to take their studies. And uh, this is something that you know, might be a good opportunity to just start looking around online and start talking to, to their local you know, schools and NGOs that might be offering some assistance. One of the local NGOs that we have been working with here it's called Cyber 221. And we've been really engaged in trying to spread knowledge about public awareness about cybersecurity and cyber safety. And this is really something that I believe that there's a lot of NGOs that are really working in this field across Africa. And, and finding one of those to engage with would be a real opportunity for some young people. But let me ask you one more thing before you go. What are you grateful for, Carmen? You know, you are still in the peak of your career. You, you're still helping. What are you grateful grateful for when you think about it very carefully? I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I was given, you know, as I was studying and growing up in my career. I'm grateful for the women mentors that I had that gave me opportunities to elevate myself, to elevate whether it was like my skills or my experiences or my network Whatever it was, I'm grateful for those women that in the past were leaders to me, you know, leaders that helped me make that next leap, that next step. And the women who currently today are still doing it for me. I have a group of women here in Dakar that I meet with once a month that are all international lawyers that work in all different aspects of human rights and development or, or private sector or wherever. And I catch myself sometimes sitting around a table, chatting with them and thinking, Thinking, these women are amazing. How am I sitting at this table with these women who are doing such amazing work? Like these are leaders and, and almost not even seeing myself as, as part of this group. But I'm grateful for them because they continue to help me take the next step, take the next leap and feel confident about that. I mean, in the end, what comes down to the, the real core of it is I'm grateful for my family who has been willing and my husband who's been willing and able to set aside his career and allow mine to go forward as we've taken different choices in our lives to move our family to Africa and to live in different places. And it's really been such an important part of their solid support across the board has made really my, my dreams of working in this field and working in this way a reality. And uh, without that support, I, I don't think it would have been quite 
as possible. So not that I couldn't make the opportunities for myself, but it truly makes it something that I can experience fully. And I'm really grateful for that. And I think a lot of women experience that across the world when they're trying to build their own careers and they might be taking some pretty strong and big leaps it's really nice when you have a support mechanism behind you that's helping you make those steps. It's not the only thing that helps you make those steps, but it certainly can make it fulfilling. Do the children love chebujen? Yes, of course. How could you not? Yeah, the food. I, no, I didn't even mention the food in Africa. Man, that's another thing that you, you that's another sense of, of uh, the tastes are, are different and, and wonderful. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really great. And do you take the children, do you take them out to Medina to check the fish and, and check the water? Do you, do you have like family outings? We do. We do. I mean, we go around my, my older daughter has now been studying French for quite a while because we've been living in West Africa for, you know, now close to five years. And so we go out and, and you know, she, I think she likes to go and, and talk with different people and practice her French. And, and she's been learning, learning a little Wolof as well. The whole family is learning a little bit of Wolof as well. So that allows us to maybe feel a little more close to our neighbors and, and the people that we see. We take a, a daily walk through the neighborhood just to you know, have all of those senses and, and experience like what is daily life going on around here. And uh, it's, a, it's a great place to be. Think about my children. They're going to have quite a different uh, experience growing up than I did when I, I grew up in Virginia, in Virginia, in the United States, and you know, a suburb. And it's quite a different experience that they're having. I really have no frame of reference, so, so in some ways, they have to be a leader to me because I really don't know. No, no, absolutely. As you said, you know, really leading by example. But we in Africa, we are extremely grateful. I am personally very grateful to have met you and to know the work you are doing. I'm very impressed and, and absolutely a lot of love and respect for the work you are doing because I know exactly what you are doing and it's so important for our continent. So on behalf of Africa, you know, this podcast is your podcast. I know you don't give so many interviews, but as Senegalese woman in the tech sector for a very long time, I'm extremely proud and honored to have met you. Thank you for what you're doing for the continent. I know that you have much, much more to give and to give to us. Your skills, your kindness, the power, the fact that you listen and you collaborate. So thank you so much for coming on the I Am The Code podcast. And on behalf of the girls listening to you, thank you for your service to the African continent. Thank you so much for having me. It has truly been a pleasure and I feel equally grateful to have met you and had this experience as well. So, But we have much more that we can do. So we will figure that out afterwards, but uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on today. Thank you so much. That was really a wonderful conversation full of insights. And I think you have now learned about cybersecurity, how you can protect yourself, but also really get involved in the industry. We were going to need to hire so many people, coders, people who really want to do well in life. So I would recommend that you really start thinking about that. One of the things I've learned this week is you must be courageous. You must be courageous to say no to things that do not benefit you. There's so much information going on, you must say no to it. But at the same time, be kind, be compassionate, have empathy, listen to other people. Don't have biases because people are different from you. But above all, protect yourself. Cybersecurity, cyber violence, cyber harassment, it is real. Your online safety is a must. And at I Am The Code, it is mandatory that every single girl that goes to our program learn about 
cybersecurity, and online safety. If you haven't seen our courses yet, I would really recommend that you go out there on the imdeco.org website and learn about you know, how to protect yourself online. I want to share this with you because it's so important that you really protect yourself. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. What a wonderful day. Thank you so much for being here. Don't forget to subscribe to the I Am The Code podcast and kindly share this. Having some information about cybersecurity is so, so important. We are a very small team at I Am The Code, totally dedicated to making the world a better place by creating inspiring content, inviting guests like Carmen to come and share with you their knowledge, their expertise about what they do in Africa, but also what they have done in their careers. So thank you so much. Remember to donate to the I Am The Code podcast if you can, but also donate to our foundation because we need all the support what we can get right now to support our girls. Be a force of good. Go out there and change the world. You can change the world by learning different tools, by making new friends. You know, doing good decreases stress, make you feel good, promote mental health, but also it leads to happiness. You must go out there and do something useful for you and useful to the world. I want to thank you from Los Angeles for my dear friend Lily Lapena's house. She welcomed me with her children here. So I'm recording this podcast from Los Angeles. So thank you everyone for your support, your love and your kindness. I shall see you when I'm back in London next week. Thank you so much and have a lovely weekend. Thank you and goodbye.